0: Welcome to Howden's new podcast, Fortune Favors the Brave. We all take risks in our everyday life and business is no different. In this podcast, we're speaking to the experts about a topical challenge or issue and what business leaders can do to overcome it. Hello everyone and welcome to Howden's podcast, Fortune Favours the Brave. My name's Jenny Screech and I'm a legal professions consultant with Howden Insurance Brokers and I support the Howden team that deals with solicitors' professional indemnity insurance. Today I have with me Viv Williams from Viv Williams Consulting. Viv is a specialist in the law firm space and advises firms on strategic planning and assists with buying and selling of law firms and mergers and acquisitions. Thank you for coming in today, Viv. Would you like to tell the audience just a little bit more about yourself and, and what you do?
1: Hello, Jenny. Yeah, I'm um, as you so rightly point out, I spend my time working with law firms. They um, sometimes age you. Working with them for for a variety of different shape sizes, the good, the bad and the ugly. So I work as a non-exec director with four law firms. I'm chief exec of a London practice and I'm chairman of a Manchester practice, all of which are adapting to the changes required for the legal profession to accept what the future holds for them. Okay. Now, Viv, we,
0: we always start our, our podcast with a bit of an icebreaker. And so what I want to ask you is to tell us about an occasion when you took a risk, because our podcasts are all focused on risk and risk awareness, risk management. So if you can tell us about an occasion when you took a risk and how it
1: worked out for you. I've reflected long and hard on this question. And I have to say that, um, I go back about 15 years to where we were running about 150 seminars in hotels all over the country. And this was in the days when CPD was in demand. We would have an average of 50 to 60 people per event. They were paid for events. And that was under the brand of 360 Legal Group. Unfortunately, in 2008, as you probably know, we had the crass in in the conveyancing market, we had people saying, we don't need CPD anymore. So the chances are that the pre-booked hotels that I'd booked spending thousands had great difficulty in finding a solution. We managed to find one. We also ran an annual conference. And it's quite an amusing story, I think. Um, because of my name, I was allocated into the female wing of a hotel chain. <laughs> so they, they thought that Viv naturally had to be a female. After the first day of the conference, after a long and arduous day, I had my key card. I entered into a room to find a young lady. I made my exit, apologised, and we've laughed about it for years to come. The hotel certainly got a a roasting for sending me to the the wrong section. So that's certainly my risk and how I dealt with it. Thank you for that.
0: So, let's turn to talk about um, law firms. And, and I know that you have a view that the the legal profession is is currently at a crossroads. And, and indeed, that's what we're calling today's podcast. And could you um, give the listeners some, some more background on what you mean by that and what you see as the current issues for law firms?
1: I think what we've seen, and certainly in Prior to the pandemic in 2020, we had a succession crisis that was facing the profession. We still have a contingent, although they are trading as limited companies, they still act as though they're running a partnership. They still treat the profession as a traditional partnership, even though their corporate structures have changed. In in reality, what that means is if we had a succession crisis in uh, 2020, we've certainly got one today. Now, I'm acting on behalf of a top 100 law firm to find them some particular acquisition targets in certain geographical areas. Six months ago, I had a negative response from everybody in the area. They all said the same thing. We've done well out of the pandemic. We've got cash in the bank. We don't need to worry. We're okay for the moment. Thank you. In the last three weeks, I've had two firms come back to me and say, do you still have that buyer that's interested? Because we now like to think about whether or not we have that conversation about change. They've realised that they're all men of a certain age, not all men, of course, but a lot of them are men of a certain age that haven't adapted to what they should have done in terms of dealing with succession and exit planning.
0: OK, so do you, in your experience, do, do some firms really leave it too late um, to consider their position and make changes?
1: Without question. I think um, if you haven't really started planning for an exit strategy years ago, then it's probably too late even today. What we have is it, it's it's a tendency that the, the legal profession has found itself in a bit of a hiatus. It has not have to change. There's been no reason to. And the last two years through the pandemic hasn't given them any reason to change either because they've all done relatively well, particularly those involved in conveyancing, in um, private client work. They've all done relatively well and they had C-bills and bounce back loans, furloughed staff, etc., which gave them the opportunity to have more cash in the bank than they had two years ago. It's only now they're starting to realise that they have to do something about it because the profession without question is changing beyond recognition. Technology is making a big impact. We're seeing IFAs, we're seeing will writers, we're seeing accountants all delivering legal services under their own auspices and there's no reason why they shouldn't continue. Technology will make such a difference. Anything that can be processed will be. Okay,
0: so even those firms that you know currently are operating a traditional law firm um, model and they 're profitable and they 're comfortable about their position in the market i mean what what would you say to those firms? should they be you
1: know looking at the whole succession issue now? Well, the number of firms who 've approached me, for example. Um, I have one particular firm, very profitable, three and a half million turnover, two equity partners. They went into a limited company structure back in 2019. They naturally assumed that their, their fee earners and their senior associates would want to become owners of their business. So they'd incorporated with the intention of letting those people buy shares in the business. When they offered it to their younger fee earners, everyone declined. Nobody wanted the responsibility of ownership. They want a good job, a good salary, do their job well, but they do not want ownership of a law firm. They've seen the rise in PI. They've seen the rise in bank debt. They know the challenges facing them. They don't want ownership. So where do those firms go? They either have to merge or find an alternative, which could well be private equity investment into their law firms. So those are the type of firms who didn't think they had a succession problem, but now do. Right, okay, so so what would be your top tips for for firms
0: and in, in terms of what they need to do and and what they should be looking at?
1: Well, failing to plan is planning to fail. That sounds an, an old uh, an old expression, but it actually means something, mm-hmm. and sadly, many of these firms don't realise what's going on around them, so they don't grab the opportunities when they see it. So very few of them invested in technology that's made a big difference in how they could process legal services. There are huge opportunities by offshoring, but none of them have bothered to take the example of dealing with that across the board. So there's things like the things like blockchain. So, for example, in a a process service like conveyancing, there's absolutely no reason why small investment in blockchain can allow seller, buyer, estate agent, conveyancer, lender, all to see what's happening and updated in a live way. And that's available now. But it's not been adapted because it's an investment that law firms don't want to make. Traditionally, if you think about it, most law firms have have taken what profits they made out of the firm and never retained profit within. That's been part of the, the law firm structure. I think that's now changing with the use of private equity. But of course, what we have seen recently is we've seen profit warnings with two of the floated law firms that have gone onto the stock market, both of which saw significant fall in shares.
0: Right, okay. And do you think that Solicitors need to be more open and proactive about actually taking advice, taking professional advice regarding the future of their business and and changes in, in strategy. Do you think too many firms just, you know, try to, to do it them, themselves without, you know, stepping back and getting some experts
1: in to strategize about the way forward? I think one of the expressions is we've always done it this way. Why do we need to change? Well, the fact is the market's changing around them. So the technology that's invested into by some of the larger players has made such a difference to the way processed legal services are, are happening. So I think if law firms don't invest, that's one of their big weaknesses. And of course, the other big weakness in most law firms is marketing. We haven't really seen marketing and business development the amount of inquiries that come into a law firm, and let's face it, it's pretty damn expensive to get a either a response to a website inquiry or even a, a telephone call. So how do you deal with them? Well, unfortunately, it's the fee earner, the receptionist that deals with those calls, and therefore the conversion of most law firms' marketing spend is appalling. So we see things 10%, 15% on average, whereas the the bigger players who've invested in business development are seeing things like seventy to eighty percent conversion of those inquiries. It's hard enough to invest to get an inquiry to come in. If you're not going to convert it, you're wasting your time.
0: Do, do you think that that most firms know what the um, you know? conversion rate is on their their marketing spend. Do you you think that that many firms actually even quantify
1: that? I don't think they have an idea. No, I don't think any of them bother to invest in those type of statistics. But it makes such a difference to their bottom line. If they could increase their conversions from even 20% to 50%, it would make such a huge difference to their profitability. Right, right. Okay. Sometimes we
0: see situations where a sole practitioner or a small firm want to close but can't afford the runoff um, premium and they can't find a successor. What's your advice for solicitors in in this situation? What
1: what can they do? Obviously becoming a successor practice, people are are avoiding um, those type of situations and risks. So I, I suspect that the only solution for some of these firms is to look at maybe selling on a will bank, So they may have to take advice from an insolvency practitioner. In fact, I've got several firms who are are doing that currently. So they'll take advice from an insolvency practitioner. They may have to go through a form of prepack, which allows them to come out the other side. But then there's some value in the will bank. So if the wills can be sold in terms of... A lasting powers of attorney, trusts with eventually probate, an annuity of maybe 10 or 20% of that value could well be paid back to the estate or to the actual, to the business itself. So, they will receive some solution. But as of successor practice, very few people would want to take that risk.
0: Okay. So, so, again, it goes back to the the importance of if you find yourself in this situation, getting some help and getting advice on what
1: you can do. Taking some professional help and getting some guidance as to what they can do and what their options are. And I think that's that's the, the best advice I can give to anyone in that position.
0: Thanks. Just want to talk to you about the, the new freelance model that the SRA introduced in 2019, which, as we know, enables um, solicitors to hold themselves out as solicitors and, and practice without going through the, the SRA authorization process. And also there's, um, you know, if you're not undertaking reserved legal activities, you don't, don't need, um, PI. Um, if you are, you need PI, but you don't need your, um, MTC cover. Do you see this becoming a, a more popular option in the future?
1: I think we have to look at that model and the consultant solicitor model as being part of what the future holds. If the lawyer, younger lawyer doesn't want ownership of a law firm, where do they go? They have to look at consultant solicitors. And if you look at the consultant solicitor model, you've got a number of players in there, all of which have around 400 consultant solicitors each. But you've got one firm, I won't mention names, one firm turning over 35 million, another firm turning over 16 million. So if you look at, if you divide the simple numbers of 400 into their turnover, then each individual consultant solicitor is generating about £50,000 in the smaller version. So it's not sustainable. And I think the difference between a solicitor who can go out and generate their own work, eat what you kill, so to speak, is very different from when you work for a law firm, that that law firm has a marketing budget, has marketing spend, and actually generates leads for you. So you do the work, but they're fed to you. So it's a very special type of solicitor that can go out and win their own work, whether they be individuals working for other firms or working for several firms at the same time. It's not easy for those guys to make money. And I think it's going to be very difficult. And if they are making lots of money, why would they become a consultant solicitor in that model? So I think there's a limitation as to how many people actually have the skill set to, to do that work. But in terms of individuals doing non-reserved activity, it's a growing trend without question.
0: Yeah. Okay. And, and finally, um, Viv, what would you say to any solicitors out there today who are currently thinking of, of taking the risk and setting up their own SRA um, authorised practice, either as a sole practitioner or a small firm? What, what would you say
1: to them? Well, I'd probably say don't, but in reality, what I would say is that make sure you have a strategic plan, a business plan that's laid out clearly with the amount of funding you might require to be able to run the business. Because I think if you haven't got something niche or specific to become a generalist solicitor in this current crop and this market, you're actually asking for failure. So if you've got something which is specialized niche that you can actually go out and market, then there's no reason why they shouldn't. But to go into a full-service law firm, starting up even as a sole practitioner, I don't think will work in this current market. So we are seeing new firms, but if you notice, they've all got an edge, something that's different. So they're not the standard high street sole practitioner or startup that we normally would see. They're very different from the old fashioned ones. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you've got the right model, the right strategy, the right funding behind you, there's no reason at all why individuals can't be a success.
0: That's great to finish on that positive note. Many thanks for joining us today, Viv, and thank you for your wisdom and guidance. And thank you also to our listeners. We hope that you will join us again because we're going to be bringing some more podcasts that are specifically for solicitors in the near future. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fortune Favors the Brave from Howden. To hear more episodes and subscribe to our channel, search Fortune Favors the Brave on your favourite podcast app.